Well, this morning we begin uh, what we trust will be a series in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, as we'll see in the first verse, is a book attributed to Solomon. Not that he wrote every word, but that it was compiled under his direction as he selected wisdom that God had revealed to him, as well as wisdom that God had revealed to several others. Now, uh, the first nine chapters of Proverbs really isn't what we think of when we think of Proverbs. We think of Proverbs, we think of really brief, pithy little sayings that, that uh, really briefly, really quickly imply or apply a, a truth, a piece of wisdom to our life. But the first nine chapters are, are bigger sections that, uh, that each apply a theme, an important theme of wisdom to our lives. And the first theme that we see is the theme of wisdom itself. Wisdom and knowledge and understanding, which really is an introduction to the topic of the whole book. So that's what we're going to consider this morning, the first seven verses of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved servants of Christ our King, in philosophy, epistemology is the study of knowing truth. How do we discern what is true? How do we understand the nature of reality? That's epistemology. It's a foundational subject, so foundational, in fact, that most folks never think about it. They simply accept as a given their assumptions about learning, about reality, about truth. However, we live in an age in which epistemology is increasingly under attack. It's become rather commonplace to hear folks say that something is true for me, but it's not necessarily true for you. Truth is regarded as subjective, with each truth claim applied uniquely to each individual. A growing number of folks regarded as morally wrong to question another person's truth claims, to question the legitimacy of what they claim to be true. But in that context, understanding reality, understanding one's own nature and place within the universe is not merely a challenge, it's absolutely impossible. And that's not just a philosophical issue, it's very practical. Unless we understand the nature of truth... We cannot teach our children what the world is like, how the world operates, and how we ought to function within the world. Unless we have a common recognition of the truth, we cannot be one in the way that we care for the world in which we live or in the way that we relate to one another. We must share a common epistemology or we can never agree about what is factually true, what is morally true, and what therefore is acceptable behavior in the midst of society. So practically then, from a societal perspective, every human society needs epistemological common ground. We need common ground 
in terms of what we understand about the truth. And it's up to us. The people who know God, the people who understand something of the God of truth, it's up to us to teach them, those outside of the church, what truth is and why it matters. And not only is it our responsibility with regard to the world, but even more so with regard to our children. They must hear from us that there is objective truth and that that objective truth matters and that we can understand that objective truth and apply it to our lives. That is the study not just of epistemology, but of the study of wisdom. That's a big part of what you boys are learning in cadets, right? Wisdom. How do we understand the world in the light of God's word and apply that to the life that we live? That's wisdom. And that's the book of Proverbs. God gave to Solomon an opportunity. As he set him over the people of Israel, God said what in a vision to him, in a dream. He said, what is it that you would have me do for you? And Solomon said, this people that you have set before me, they are too great And I am too young. I am too inexperienced. Give me wisdom. And God gave him more wisdom than any man who had lived before him. And part of that wisdom he set down here in Proverbs so that God's people could understand how he wants us to live before him. How he wants to take what he has revealed and live that in our lives in the midst of the world. So this morning, we begin our study of the book of Proverbs. Now, we're not going to to study every verse of this book. We're not even going to study every chapter. But we do hope to consider enough of this book in order to faithfully live as disciples in the midst of a world that is increasingly confused even by the very nature of truth. And this first text tackles that issue head on. These first seven verses of Proverbs show us That wisdom, understanding, is important. In fact, it's essential. God's servant here commends true wisdom. That's our theme. God's servant commends true wisdom. And as we consider how he commends true wisdom, we're going to see first how he describes wisdom and then how he commends obtaining wisdom. So the first section, and really the bulk of our text leads us to appreciate wisdom, which reflects the character of Christ. That's our first point. Now, our text proper begins with a general statement about the goal and purpose of Proverbs. This is verses 2 and 3. Notice, if you look at verses 2 and 3, there's no explicit statement about the audience. Later, we find a part addressed to the simple and to those who are young, and then then a section to those who are wise. But this first section, verses 2 and 3, doesn't address a particular audience because Solomon wants us to see that when it comes to wisdom there is no target audience there's no limiting demographic wisdom is what everyone needs we all young and old new to the faith and long experienced in it we all need to know wisdom and instruction wisdom that's knowledge applied. It's not just a matter of learning about facts. Kids, when you go to school, oftentimes it feels like you're just, you're just gathering up facts that you're going to spit out on a test, right? And when you, when you see your learning in that, that sense, it, 
it really doesn't seem like it has a point, does it? Like, great, I can tell you all these dates about the War of 1812 and, and World War II, and I can tell you all of these facts about these mathematical formulas, but unless you can apply those, they don't really seem to matter, right? And they won't really stick. It's only when your math teacher says, okay, this is why this is important. This is a practical situation where you would use that. That's wisdom, being able to take those facts and apply them in a concrete way in life. Wisdom. We need to know wisdom. We need to know instruction. Instruction is, uh, really, that's a word that hints at consequences. That if you don't understand, if you don't get the truth, there will be a consequence. This word for instruction is the word that describes what you get when your father punishes you. Or when you suffer a consequence because of your sin. We must know wisdom and we must know instruction. We must know how to apply knowledge and also how to apply the result of failing to have wisdom. And we must perceive the words of the understanding, to perceive, to gain knowledge. See, it's not enough, again, just to be exposed to the facts. We have to process it. We have to figure out how does it work? How does it live out its reality in our life? Wisdom comes to those not who simply are exposed to truth, but to those who take that truth and work to understand how it fits in their life. You know, this calling reminds us, this calling to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, that calling reminds us that we are not yet complete. We lack comprehension of much that this world holds. We don't have understanding of all the facts that surround us. We don't grasp how God would have us to use those facts in serving Him. And therefore, we must long to learn and to grow and to deepen the wisdom that God has set before us. And that's not just an academic thing. That's not just a matter of book smarts. The knowledge God would have us obtain is to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. There's a moral element in that. These all refer to understanding and applying what is good and upright versus what is wicked and abhorrent to God. To have this kind of wisdom allows us to take hold of what is good and to reject what is bad. True wisdom strives to recognize the nature of the things around us as God views them. Does this thing or that possess beauty that delights God? Does this particular practice enable me to better use the gifts God has given us? Does this pastime empower me to reflect God more fully? Or does this thing or that ultimately displease God? Does a particular action require compromise of God's standards? Has God condemned this particular action or attitude? True wisdom strives to discern the uprightness of a particular action, attitude, or item. Seeking to understand how God would judge that action, attitude, or item. But when we get concrete like that, that's when the, that's when the, the pursuit of wisdom becomes difficult. And we agree in the abstract that whatever judgments are set forth in Scripture are necessarily true. 
We understand that in the abstract. And it's easy for us to do when we look at other people, when we look at what they've done. It's easy for us to look at our neighbor and say, see what he's doing, that's wrong. But when we start applying it to ourselves, that's when it starts to get difficult. Suddenly we start to find loopholes. We start to find exceptions. We start to find excuses for why it doesn't really apply to me. Why that, that maybe doesn't mean exactly what God says there because, because we're pretty attached to what it says we shouldn't be attached to. So if we're to gain true wisdom, if we're to have true understanding, that requires the humility to submit ourselves to God's truth even when it hurts. But you see, doing that is essential for gaining the maturity to which we're called as Christians. Verse 4 talks about what is received by the simple and by the young man. The simple, that refers to those who lack a deep understanding of what God says. This often is the standing of those who are, are young in terms of age, but it's not merely about the years we've lived on earth. It refers to those who are young in the faith, those who are, are still learning about God's Word, those who are still getting a, a basic foundation of what God has revealed to us. What matters, what defines those who are simple, those who are godly young men, isn't the number of years lived on the earth, but the recognition that they have much to learn about God and about themselves and about the world. But listen, when we, hear, when we hear Proverbs talk about the simple, understand that's very different from when Proverbs talks about the fool. We'll talk about the fool in a minute. But understand that the simple differs essentially from the fool. Because the, unlike the fool, the simple wants to learn. Young people strive to be those who are among the simple recognizing that there's much you have to learn, that you're still laying the foundation for the Christian life, but longing to learn, longing to know, longing to gain that wisdom that will transform you into a bearer of the image of Christ. But woe to us if we refuse, if we reject that wisdom. Instead, we must delight to gain prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Look at verse 4. Prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Prudence speaks of gaining skill in applying what we learn to life. Knowing how to take those facts that we get in the Bible, those truths that we discern from the pages of Scripture, how does that live in us? Or how should it? Knowledge, of course, that's the facts themselves. That's gaining an understanding, an appreciation of what God's Word says, which, which maybe we should dwell on a little more because, because I think too often we allow this book to, to gather dust during the week. But we must not. We must gain knowledge. We must gain an understanding of who God is and what He's done and how He wants us to respond to that. And unless we're taking up this word daily, unless we're studying its words and reading its passages and coming to a, a, a wholehearted grasp, well then we can't move on from knowledge to prudence. We can't move on from knowledge to discretion. A matter of, of using well what God has revealed to us. If a young Christian is to grow in his ability to live faithfully before God, then he must gain a knowledge of what God has revealed. You need to spend time in the Word, taking in quantities 
of the Bible. And if you don't understand part of it, then, then use a study Bible or ask someone who's walked longer in the faith and help for help to understand what you've read. Be like that, that Ethiopian eunuch to whom God sent the deacon Philip who was reading from the book of Isaiah as he rode in his chariot. And Philip said, Do you understand what you've just read? And he said, How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Seek someone to explain it to you. But by all means, you who are simple, you who are young in the faith, gain understanding and seek to gain wisdom. Seek to gain prudence and discretion. But not only you who are young, Verse 5 addresses the wise man and the man of understanding. These are the more mature among the church. They've walked with the Lord for many years. They know God's word well from years of study. And yet they realize, if they are wise, they realize that no Christian graduates from the need to keep learning. We cannot rest on the knowledge we gained in catechism as a youth. God wants us to continue throughout our life, growing in our knowledge of Him and in our wisdom in applying His truth. And therefore, the wise, the understanding, they hear and increase learning. The wise man never allows good instruction to fall on deaf ears. He recognizes the value of learning, and therefore he embraces every opportunity to increase his understanding. And so... Solomon says, such Christians will attain wise counsel. The wise man doesn't just smile and nod when he hears an opportunity to learn. He writes it down. He treasures it up in his heart. He ponders over it long and hard. He walks away from the sermon thinking, how does that apply to me? He talks it over with his brothers and sisters. And he asks, how do I need to change in the light of that? How does my life need to be transformed in the light of what God has revealed to me here? He's never content with where he is, but always striving to gain more wisdom, more understanding, more godliness through what the Lord has revealed to him. Folks, that doesn't come without work. Look at verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, what that shows us. Each of those words talks about wisdom that is somewhat hidden. Because to understand the wisdom God has given to us, it requires work. If you were looking for gold, you went up to Alaska looking for gold, you might find some. If you, if you were sharp-eyed, you might find some walking about in the wilderness looking on the ground. You might find a flake of gold here and there. You'd have more likelihood if you took a pan and went to a, a stream in an area known for gold and you sifted through the rocks and the rubble at the bottom of the stream. You might find a few little chunks. But if you really want to find gold, if you want to find quantities of gold, you can't just look at the ground. You can't just pan for it in a stream. You have to go dig a mine. And you have to process tons of ore carefully. That's hard work. And so it is with wisdom. Yeah, there's some low-hanging fruit. You can find some wisdom in, in memes on Instagram and some insights on Facebook, but not a whole lot. And certainly nothing deep, nothing substantial. If you want true wisdom, you have to work for it. You have to read the books that 
wise men have written. You need to, to attend the lectures and conferences where they teach. You need to, to take careful note of the sermons and then speak about it with others. You need to study the Bible with those who are wiser than you are and prepare for that study by reading and studying the passage beforehand and reading commentaries and and prayerfully pondering the passages God has set before you. Wisdom comes not with 140 character tweets or Instagram memes. Wisdom requires work. It requires studying and pondering and prayerfully processing the truth that God has set before you. But if you do that, if you strive to understand the truth, how rich is the reward? As you process that wisdom, as you begin really working with what God reveals to you in Scripture and through those who are wiser than you, you will begin to understand the world through the eyes of Him who made the world. You will begin to think about the the world and, and about yourself and about life the way God thinks. Your judgments will begin to reflect His judgments. As you embrace true wisdom, the wisdom of God Himself becomes part of you and that invariably draws us closer to Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 God promised to send forth His servant, the offspring of David, and of him, it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of the eyes, nor decide by the hearing of the ears." But with righteousness he shall judge, with the, judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus is the one whose wisdom outshone even that of Solomon. As a youth, his understanding left the scribes amazed. When he taught publicly, the people stood dumbstruck at the authority and the wisdom with which he taught. And it was Jesus who inspired the words of the Scripture that we read. It is His Spirit that enables us to understand the truth God has revealed. If we truly take hold of wisdom, if we strive for it, if we pray for it, if we begin to attain to it, it is Christ whom we will encounter time and time and time again. It is His wisdom that will flow into us and through us. It is His judgment that we will begin to exercise. So brothers and sisters, let us embrace wisdom eagerly. And let us understand that there is no part of life which is exempt from that wisdom that He sets before us. What part of your life is jumbled? What part of your life is complicated or dysfunctional or broken? Is your marriage less matrimonial bliss than war zone? Do you cringe at the thought of confronting that child who seems to be going the wrong direction? Is your work leaving you empty and craving something new? Are your friendships beginning to feel like they're all give and no take? How about your parents, your teachers, your boss? Do you, do you feel like, like they just don't understand? Like you just don't relate to them? How about your desires? Do you feel like your desires, maybe they, they aren't very pleasing to God, they're not very worthy, and yet you feel chained to them? What part of your life is misery to you? That's the part of life where you need God's wisdom applied. 
So pray that God would provide for you that wisdom. And then commit yourself to seeking the wisdom that He sends through His Word, through His servants, through your elders, through your friends. And pray for the humility to accept the wisdom that God reveals to you, but above all else, recognize that only the wisdom of God is able to provide the transformation that you need. Because only Christ is able to renew what has been corrupted by a sin-broken world. The question is, how do we get that true wisdom? Really, that's, that's the question that's going to be addressed throughout our time in Proverbs. But God begins to answer it in verse 7. Call this the executive summary of everything that follows. It's the preview that shows us the heart of how we gain wisdom. And what it shows us is that we acquire wisdom by receiving the instruction of Christ. And that's our last point. The focus of this verse, verse 7, is on the fear of the Lord. That's both the path to wisdom and wisdom's prerequisite. We cannot obtain true wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. But what exactly does that mean? What's it mean to fear the Lord? The verb used is a really common verb. It can mean to to be afraid of something. It can mean to stand in awe of something. Or it can mean that you desire to honor something. In this case, it's sort of a both and. Ecclesiastes 12 calls us to fear the Lord by keeping His commandments, by honoring Him through our obedience, but also with an eye upon His judgment, a recognition that He's going to hold us accountable for what, we, for what sins we commit. Psalm 111 says that the fear of the Lord should be revealed by our praise and also by our obedience. Revelation 15 calls men to, to fear the Lord at, in our awe at his, his might and His holiness. So to fear the Lord is to approach Him with humility and with awe, celebrating how holy He is. Trusting Him in the greatness of His power and acknowledging that we cannot even begin to honor Him in the way that He deserves. Fear of the Lord, it's, it's really faith in the Lord. It's acknowledging that He is the one who is great. That He is the only one who can help. And that we trust Him to give us exactly what we need. That's the fear of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is our comprehensive calling as Christians. We are called to fear the Lord, to reveal our fear of the Lord in everything that we do. That means that we submit to God in the way that we do our tasks at work, in the way that we discipline our children at home, in the way that we spend our time and our money, in the way that we honor those who are over us, in the way that we respond to to those who criticize or those who praise. All that we do must strive to reveal that we fear the Lord. We rely on the true God. We want to honor Him above everything else. The fear of the Lord ought to permeate our life as Christians. And if it does, this will be the beginning for us of knowledge. Notice that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, not of wisdom, but of knowledge. Wisdom's a step beyond Knowledge is the starting point. You can't have wisdom without knowledge, but knowledge itself is not yet wisdom. That means that that far from just for obtaining wisdom, even to know, even to understand the world in which we live requires fearing the Lord. Obviously, you can't do theology apart from 
faith in the God whom you study. You can't do it well at least. But you also cannot rightly study physics without understanding that it is God who created the world the way in which it is. And He's the one who upholds the world so that we can be confident that it will continue to operate the way that it operates. And you can't know history in the absence of God because God's the one who ordained everything that comes to pass. And so to seek to understand history apart from its king is the epitome of folly. And so too with mathematics and chemistry and literature and ethics and logic and language and everything else. God is the one who designed it all, who upholds it all, and who ensures that all of it works together for our good. So we can't understand any of it apart from the fear of the Lord. We say, well, what about unbelievers? Well, unbelievers, they, they operate on borrowed capital. Unbelievers, they know in their hearts that God exists. And so they assume that the world will work the way the world works with God standing over it, even as they strive to deny God. If it was not for the unbeliever's inconsistency, he could not understand anything. And we cannot understand anything aright unless we begin by fearing the Lord, honoring Him, acknowledging Him, looking to Him as the foundation of it all. Now, of course, there is an alternative, and that's the way of the fool. Fools, says Proverbs, despise wisdom and instruction. Now understand, a fool in Scripture, that's not merely a slur. It's a description of a particular person. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 107, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquity, are afflicted. So the fool is the person who denies God and chooses instead of God his sin, his rebellion. This person, defined as it were by his rebellion hates the wisdom and the instruction of God. Why does he hate wisdom? Because wisdom, if it's true wisdom, reflects God. It reflects Christ. It reveals its maker. But they hate our maker. And so they hate the true and living God. They hate the wisdom that testifies to him. And that means that the fool's life is wrapped up in folly. He would rather say that man, with all of his beautiful complexity and amazing design accidentally evolved over a lot of unguided happenstance over millions of years, which is silly, rather than acknowledge that the true God designed him. He would rather rest in the idea that history has no purpose, including his own history, that history has no meaning, including his own life, rather than acknowledge that God is the king of history. The fool would rather deny reality, truth, rather than confess God. And he cannot stand the idea of wise instruction because the fool, in his folly, longs to be God. He longs to sit on the throne and gaining understanding. Well, that requires humility. That requires acknowledging that I am not there yet. And that the fool will not do. So the fool despises both wisdom and instruction, building his home on ignorance. The question for us today is, which path will I walk? It seems pretty obvious, right? I want to walk in the way of wisdom. I want to walk in the way of truth. But understand the implications of that. To walk in the way of wisdom means confessing that God is the source of everything. 
that all knowledge, all truth, all facts rest in Him. That means trusting everything God has said, even the things that I don't like, even the parts that I find embarrassing, even the stuff that might get me mocked by an unbelieving world. Walking the path of wisdom means accepting that God is always true, even when He talks about sending a flood that covered everything in the world. Even when He describes sending a big fish to swallow Jonah. Even when He calls it sin to embrace the attitudes that I like. Either God is true always, or we reject Him. You can't have half of that pie. To deny God's Word in one part is to deny all of it. To deny God's work of creation is to doubt His work of redemption. But if we accept that God is always true, that God is always the source of truth, well then, my friends, you have found freedom. Because in seeking that truth, you have found the one who embodies truth, which is Christ. You have found the Word through whom the world was made. You have found the divine promise who is always yes and amen. You have found the Alpha and also the Omega. You have found the Judge whose decree is final. If we seek truth by fearing God, then we find the truth who is in Christ and He gives us life abundant. Not just life eternal, but life abundant. Life that is full in all of its parts. That's why God's servant commends true wisdom. Because true wisdom reflects the character of Christ. True wisdom leads us into the embrace of Christ. True wisdom leads us to understand the world in the light of Christ. But we can acquire that wisdom only as we receive the instruction of Christ. So as we walk our way through Proverbs, let us make it our prayer and our earnest desire that God would allow us to see Christ in it and to recognize how the truth of Christ transforms everything and leads us to honor the source of it all who is our God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, you are so good and so faithful to us. Give us a heart for understanding your truth, for embracing your wisdom and for fearing you, acknowledging that you are the source of all that is and all that is good. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.